Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint, recorded live at HCIC 2023, or hashtag HCIC 23, here in downtown Los Angeles. I'm here live recording and in the expo hall at a booth, so don't mind the background noise, as we typically do here with Touchpoint. And I have a round of speakers here that I'm going to introduce in just a second. But before I do, if you're listening in and you want to know more about the Touchpoint podcast and all the other podcasts on the Touchpoint network, go out to visit our website at Touchpoint. Touchpoint.health. At Touchpoint.health, you can learn a little bit more and listen to all of our shows, subscribe, and while you're there, there's a little button at the top that says the TPS report. That's our weekly email that we send out to people that are subscribing, where we share top five stories that are curated by hosts of the Touchpoint Network. And these are stories that just hit your inbox, little thought starters to get you started for the week. We do nothing else with your email that's in there. And if you're subscribed to the Touchpoint podcast, we will also probably ask you to take one of our surveys. We're doing an annual survey. So be sure to take an annual survey that helps us understand a little bit more about who you are, what your interests are, and also you can vote for your favorite episodes and favorite guests of the Touchpoint podcast, which we're going to reveal on our very last show of the year. That's our annual Potty Awards, the Touchpoint Potty Awards. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Without further ado, I am sitting here with three illustrious guests, two of which have never been on our show before, and we're gonna make sure that this is not a one-time thing, but let's go around the room, let's introduce it. The first is my good friend, David, Sweet Pea Perry. David, how are you? I shouldn't have revealed my nickname in high school. I knew this would cost me. David, can you share a little bit about yourself? I wanted to say David Perry, former recipient of a potty award, but I can't because I've not won the award. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. So I'm David Perry. Uh, my current role is here with, with Bowstring. It's a content studio. We're in the Bowstring booth here at HCIC in the City of Angels. 
And I focus, uh, as the EVP of strategy, I focus on content planning, which is what a content studio does. So we work with healthcare organizations uh, and agencies that handle healthcare organizations to produce content. My background, I have not, I've only been at Bowstring a year. I am a reformed, recovering CMO. I was with the University of Utah Health System. Um, Seattle Children's Hospital Research Institute, and most recently was a senior advisor at Stanford Medicine. So I have been in the in the seat of many CMOs and marketing leaders. So I hope I can empathize and then now consult and help them with their content needs. Absolutely, How's that? that's great. I love it. And welcome to the show. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for Seated to your immediate left is also someone that I've known for a, a little while now, uh, John McKeever. Welcome to the show, John. You want to share a little bit about yourself to our audience? Yeah, thanks, Chris. I'm John McKeever. I'm the Chief Growth Officer for Endeavor Management. Um, this is what I know. We're a management consulting firm. I've been with the firm 25 years now. Uh, we work with organizations who are trying to make bold moves. Uh, basically, how do you design and implement transformative change, uh, whether it's growing, getting into the digital space, workforce strategy, or experience management. Yeah, great stuff there. And I don't have a cool nickname, so I'm sorry. Well, we'll, we'll, make one. <laughs> we'll make one up along the way. And then to your left, and someone who's been on the show before, you might recognize this voice. Andrew Rainey. That's right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I, wanted, I was hoping you would mention your nickname, but go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> do, I, do I have one yet? I don't know. No. That happens on the third show, evidently. Andrew Rainey, I am the GM of healthcare at Reputation. So um, essentially, I lead our healthcare team. At Reputation, we have a lot of other organizations that we actively work with across auto, across retail, FinServe, et cetera, but healthcare is our number one vertical and it's also um, a focus of our attention. So been with the company about a year and a half, but come from the industry. Chris, I've known you for what, a decade now? Oh uh, yeah, give or about take. a decade, yeah. Came from a company prior where we ended up selling that back in 2020, and here I am back at it at HCIC. So Absolutely. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you all three are here. I know many of you might be listening and say, where's Reed? Well, Reed wasn't able to make it to the show, but he uh, put it in good hands with all, all four of us here. So typically when we record at these conferences, what we do is we look at some topics that, uh, you know, maybe are top of mind, things that we we are, you know, that might be we hearing around in the hallways or things that we're presenting about. And I know, David... Mm-hmm. You started first by mentioning your uh, session that you did yesterday. Do you want to? And you called it "If Content Is King, Why Is It a Royal Pain in the Ass?" That's yes. a great, funny title. But it really is about content strategy. So why don't we start with that topic? Our topic was really about uh, stepping back and being planful with content, particularly with video. There's always this feeling like, "Oh, that's expensive," or "I'm going to have to do a Hollywood production," and that's not really the case. My co-presenter, uh, Kelly Campbell, is a division vice president at Virginia Mason Franciscan Health. And Kelly and I worked together years ago. She was on my team at Seattle Children's. When I joined Bowstring, I contacted her and wanted to, basically I was contacting a lot of people in the industry, what are your needs, are we doing survey work, as to what packages they need. She said, listen, um, we've got some financial challenges, like most systems, she's got a common spirit. I need two campaigns, but I can't have you film anything, but I've got some existing content. So this is an example of a case study we share. So sometimes what you look and you say, what are our current assets? How can that be repurposed? That's mainly through post-production, which we do here, to create two new campaigns. We did one for bariatric and one for cardio. So we shared that. But I also shared what we call sort of our framework of content planning called story cycle. That's three stages. So you kind of start with the ideation stage, sort of strategy and discovery, and you move to creative. What what do you want to produce? 
um, how will you produce it, that could be social media content, patient profiles, whatever it might be, then you move into distribution. For many, we actually provide a distribution strategy and ultimately optimization. So what we found is if you approach content that way, you end up saving 20%, 30%. Instead of calling us and saying, I need a two-minute brand anthem with our CEO next Thursday, we can say, let's look at when we come to, to your campus or your facility, taking two days to film multiple pieces of content, maybe 18 different pieces that can be repurposed in social media content. So we're trying to get people to think about content in a different way. And we're not a traditional agency, we're a content studio. So I think what you're finding is it's more accessible now. Just about every system is using it. They're probably underutilizing, particularly things like video. It's probably unrealized potential. So that was really our message. And so we walked people through that. We had a great Q&A session, lasted almost a third of it. I know content is always a challenge for organizations, right? Whenever you talk about content strategy, the first thing that springs to mind is like, this is going to take forever to create the content, right? And I think that that, that is a common misnomer. Indeed. We as professionals, we there's a lot of content that can be created organically or produced mm-hmm. within your organization. And so like when we're looking at, you know, inventorying all the content and the opportunities to create content, it doesn't have to be such a slog. Absolutely not. John, are you seeing that too with some of the, the people, the clients that you work with? I have. Um, actually, I just did a workshop this past Friday and it was kind of the opposite problem in many ways is there's a... Uh, plethora of content available and we continue to distribute it so what's the rationale for distributing it and so like what Dave was referring to in terms of having the content library and having story cycle as a way to organize all of that is very attractive because often the clients that I work with they're getting requests from all over the place mm-hmm. and the conventional wisdom is we have to create something new and so how do we do more with less repurpose something we've already created but at the same time strategically think about how we replace how we place that in engaging different types of audiences and not overwhelming them with this newfound asset library and the other thing that i think about when i think about content is there's content that is not only created by your organization it can be created by others like for example and this andrew now i'm turning to you because this is your bailiwick people are writing reviews about us and there's great ways that you can kind of repurpose that how do you see the content we, we actually just saw this too. Um, well, I take that back. It's a it's a video. I joined Reputation about a year and a half ago, but it was a video that was shared with me, and um, it was Baycare. And what they did is they took all of the online reviews and ratings, and they had identified like a handful. And again, number one, the majority of that is overwhelmingly positive to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. But what they did is they they um, hand selected a handful of either front desk staff or um, NPs or actual um, providers that that came in and were videoed reading a review or rating that had been posted publicly. But it was capturing their reaction and reading it for the very first time. And they put together this great collage, this wonderful video. We've presented it at conferences in the mm-hmm. past. And I mean, it gives, it gives me chills thinking about it. Like it's their genuine, authentic reactions, but it's repurposing traditional online ratings and reviews, but then spoken through the words of the person that it was reviewed about, right? So oh, it's wow. really interesting, really, really powerful message. And perfect way for them to brand the overall message that they're trying to get out there in the first place. So I, I love that video that they put together. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I never even thought about yeah. that, right? It's like, that is so touching and so personal. Mm-hmm. Talk about taking authentic user-generated content and just mirroring it back. What a way to kind of reinforce that. David, I mean, you know, when you think about that, like, content 
it really is powerful. It's one of the most powerful things that we can do. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. I didn't really get to get into this at the session yesterday, but one of the things that is also interesting when we speak of content is we're used to owned, earned, you know, owned and earned mm -hmm. uh, media, and we all love earned media, right? We get a third-party endorsement from whatever that may be. Newspapers not around anymore, but media. But what's happening is you've got these reduced staffs. So our owned content can oftentimes become earned content because these staffs are you know, mm -hmm. uh, basically under-resourced. And if it's appropriate content, you can present yourself in an appropriate, um, relevant light to media outlets. So that's another thing um, that I wanted to tee up and we'll probably we'll do more in the future. Mm -hmm. We underestimate, particularly as healthcare, we're pretty trusted organizations. We're not snake oil salesmen, whatever we're not, right? So we're a trusted member of the community. I think oftentimes we can help third parties tell our story. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're gonna have to give them, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, give them enough rope to, to, to run with that. There's a number of ways. And then the second thing I, I shared yesterday was, um, you may have seen, um, there's a campaign, um, He Gets Us. It's really a repositioning of Jesus and faith. It's a you know, small assignment. Mm. <laughs> and all their ads are black and white, still imagery with voiceover. So I said to the folks attending, many of them with limited budgets, you could do this. Yeah. Yeah, you can do this same work. Now they ran ads on the Super Bowl. Not most of our systems aren't gonna run ads on the Super Bowl unless it's a local buy. But content can come in different forms. It doesn't have to be a Hollywood level production. So um, I see us, tapping into that untapped potential in the years ahead. Because we've got the best storytelling format. Think about it, healthcare. It's yeah. life and death, it's all that. Right. Um, and we're I don't think we're tapping into it enough, in my opinion. But I'm a bit biased, obviously. Well, I think we all are, being in this <laughs> yes. industry, right? I mean, right. but I think you're right, 100%. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Let's uh, pivot to another topic because, Andrew, <laughs> you're presenting at this conference as well. <laughs> I am. And it's, it's somewhat related to content, right? But what you're focusing in on in your work is around patient experience and mm -hmm. how to kind of communicate to patients in, a, in a, an effective way. Can you share a little bit of an overview of what you're going to be talking about here? I guess it's kind of 50% uh, the, the overall capture. So how can you effectively capture the information? You know, how do you capture patient voices across mm -hmm. you know, where it's, it's not intrusive also, mm -hmm. right? Because you, you need to be very mindful of survey fatigue, et cetera. And then it's also the analytics, right? Um, I like to look at it when, you know, when you're identifying and you're looking at and analyzing overall patient experience data or consumer experience data, um, you can take action on it by resolving that particular issue with that specific patient. That could also be perceived as just kind of chopping the head off of a weed, right? You haven't really addressed the underlying core root issue, right? Now, that's not necessarily to say that, oh, it's whatever has been said the most that was negative. 
because you're going to have your areas that are traditionally more negative in the first place, right? So like the billing experience, so very seldom do I see positive experiences posted online or even within surveys about the billing experience for the most part, right. wait times, et cetera. But it also creates these conflicting channels of how you want to capture the information as well, right? So you, you have traditional surveys, now you also have real-time surveys that are now coming in. Patients can go and leave their own feedback online across you know, a Google or a WebMD or wherever mm-hmm. it may be. And a lot of systems now are really trying to, uh, to really increase and improve the overall volume, which in turn then also helps improve the overall sentiment, right? And that is, I want to be very clear, it's not to gate, right? Um, it's, it's a huge no-no just for every possible reason, not to mention it's a violation of any of the source sites. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question has come where marketing is now working very closely with the patient experience teams. Patient experience teams most often have some type of initiative or they're doing some type of a real-time outreach via text or email or whatever it may be. And the, uh, the logical thought was, well, you know, we don't need to do a, a separate campaign. We don't need to send a, a separate dedicated text just to leave a review. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just tack that on at the end of the survey? But what we found is when you do that, it, it hurts the capture across both, right? You, you're not getting then that actual reviewer rating. And what we found is when they did this side by side that you're maximizing across both the survey capture and in no way had any potential impact, certainly not on caps, and your ability to then capture a patient willing to leave a reviewer rating. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of groups are a little hesitant, uh, you know, to, to launch an outbound campaign in certain care settings, right? Mm-hmm. ED, as an example, we're speaking about this tomorrow with North Kansas City. They did outbound SMS campaigns asking about patients' experiences in the emergency setting, right? Mm-hmm. Very, it gave me some pause, right? right? Like, hey, do we want to do this in a sample first before you go all out? But like we've seen with nearly every other care setting, not only did the volumes go up, but the overall sentiment went up as well. So those patients that had such a negative experience are likely already motivated to go and leave and not negative review across one of the digital channels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that silent majority that you really want to activate that had those positive experiences that you really want to make sure their voices are heard. So capture and then the analytics around it so you can really understand patient experience across all those different sources of ex- uh, consumer experience data. Yeah, but what you're describing is like a unique way that you're you're communicating to patients, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's been a big challenge within organizations. I, at the last health system I was at, we did an inventory of like how many ways that we communicate with the patient, right? Yep. And you'd be surprised at all the different departments that are kind of weighing in and doing things sometimes in a very disconnected way, right? And so, John, I see you're nodding your head here. You see this too? There's a couple of things I wanted to mention. One is, you know, with measurement, um, how do you affect change? So what is it that you want to do? What What is it that you want to employees to do as a consequence of having reviewed those things? So something that you mentioned before uh, was humanizing the data. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you get people to read? How do you get those patient testimonials by voice uh, to create the human element to it? Um, in my experience, going through many different hospitals and, you know, they'll come to us and say, we need to enhance our patient experience. Um, at the at the end of the day, most nurses and caregivers actually know what to do. Mm-hmm. They just haven't been given the resources or the direction or a guiding light on what to do. Um, and so sometimes these human stories are the things that really that they can rally around. And so uh, working with emergency departments and other um, departments in, in, in different hospitals, you know, coming back with certain patient satisfaction scores and they see wide variance and I can get up there and explain statistics all day long. But it's like, let's look at the comments and let's put this patient in the room right now with us as voice of the customer and let, let me tell you what their story is and read verbatim what they say. And nurses sometimes cry over that. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe this one person had that bad of an experience. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, let's talk about the story. The numbers will take care of themselves eventually, mm-hmm. but let's talk about that, that story and let's rewrite what the story should be. 
and together let's align around what those expected behaviors amongst all of us will be and then by doing that they actually own the outcome and then they start to see the results um, you know from all that and as you're talking about this John right I think there's a couple things here that you're kind of outlining first of all what are we trying to accomplish right what's the goal to me reminds me of like how we're building a strategy what are we trying to accomplish how are we going to accomplish it I'm now hearkening back to your story cycle thing right and then how are we going to measure success and what are we going to do with that data when we measure it and how are we going to improve things but ultimately I think the underpinning of all this it comes back to content the content you're talking about really fuels the right type of information that you need Andrew you were describing you know ED reaching out in a certain context because that context actually will get you more authentic content mm-hmm. than if you tack it on the end of a, like a patient experience. It's a survey, representative right? sample, yep. The story cycle, we have these stages, but it's really sort of what and why. That's sort of the ideation piece and mm-hmm. aligning the strategy. Uh, you've got the how, which is creative and production, and then where and when for mm-hmm. distribution and optimization. Um, as listening to Andrew, it made me think in, in John about the nurses. Um, when I presented um, back in April at HNPS with Kelly again, we had a third presenter from Renown Health. And she spoke about unleashing the nurses to share their experience to help with recruit. Hmm. Now, health systems are not the most risk-oriented organizations. So Suzanne Henry, the CMO there, said, let's let the nurses run loose on social media. I don't think you use the term run loose, but let's empower them <laughs> on social media. Yeah. Yeah. The result is they were able to recruit new nurses in northern Nevada, which was a challenge, and their whole campaign centered around a real nurse. They don't, they don't, they used, their talent was their employees. It was really a powerful story. So I think there's all types of ways to kind of tap, and you were talking about the emotions that the nurse shared. Also, patients see nurses more than any other individual. That's a powerful um, advocate. So mm-hmm. I'm in a doctorate program, and my dissertation is focused on how do you identify and cultivate brand ambassadors within, in my case, a higher ed setting, faculty and staff. Same can go for healthcare. Mm-hmm. How do you, and this is not usually financial incentive. These are folks that already exhibit those mm-hmm. behaviors. They're probably going to the volunteer health fair. They're probably recruiting people already but how do you systemize that, maybe give it a framework and some structure so that it becomes almost a development opportunity, hmm. these type of things. So I think there's a lot of exciting areas to explore, and I don't think of that as traditional content. We don't even think about it mm-hmm. as marketers. And the other thing that comes out of that is marketers need to think, get out of their silo, right, and think about how they work with HR, mm-hmm. how, how they can help HR tell the story, and particularly with the talent wars that we were going through COVID and still persist. It's kind of moved from recruitment challenges to retention challenges. Yep. Right. We as marketers can really add value in that area if we're willing to, you know, to collaborate. Well, and that's a nice transition yeah. to the third topic that we wanted to talk to, the transformation of marketing and the role of the marketing leader. I think this is an important one to think about. I'm hearing it all over the Healthcare Internet Conference. It's interesting how we really didn't talk about technology a lot, right, yeah. on the show. But it's not only like working closely with IT. It's working with HR. It's working with other people. It really is showing that marketing in our industry is transforming. So, John, share a little bit about your perspective on this. Yeah, so I I like to talk about marketing, but the difference between the capital M marketing being more strategic and the little M marketing being tactical. 
and all too often marketing organizations are viewed as the order takers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the ones you tell if you need to get something produced and distributed. Uh, but what's evolved out of necessity is that marketers are the strategists, you know, the capital M marketers. So who are our audiences? And as they've begun building their own internal reputations <clears throat> in that area, uh, they've been asked to do much more. So it's like, okay, it's all hands on deck. How are we going to help? how we're going to advance workforce strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually were brought in by a client last year in advance of a nurse negotiation, uh, a potential union strike. Mm -hmm. And marketing was tasked with, hey, help us communicate better with the nurses. Well, wait, that's kind of out of our lane. How do we go about doing this? And for us as a firm, this is about change communications. This is about how do we actually change the way we view our own processes? Mm -hmm. How do we identify the competencies that we need And then how do we actually create higher value for the rest of the organization? Um, We're seeing that happen too with physician communications, uh, particularly with referring physicians. So it had been the norm that you you have the consumer marketing group and then you have this other group, business development, that's focused on physician relations. Well, it's really not the case. You can advance referring uh, physician relationships with outreach only. You actually need marketing. And now it's starting to be, well, hey, who knows marketing better than the marketing department? Mm -hmm. How do we collaborate? And then how do we transform the way in which we collaborate with those other groups? We're seeing that with IT initiatives internally. Um, We're seeing that also with development offices. Mm -hmm. Who are the best storytellers in the organization? Marketing. You know, so let's engage marketing in a, in a different way. And then today's point earlier about the silos, so that means that the marketing leaders and their teams actually need to be empowered to break through walls mm-hmm. and to actually mm-hmm. collaborate and not try to you know, occupy and build you know, their fiefdoms. Well, and, and, and academic medical centers are also known as towers of excellence. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to chime in on that. Uh, so Dom Pereiro, who's a, a, a very good friend, uh, is the CMO uh, at uh, UCLA Health. He hosted a group of us this weekend. It was wonderful. But uh, Dom has sort of a line where he says, uh, we've got to stop thinking of ourselves as being viewed as a cost center, but as a growth center. And I think that's a fundamental um, shift that we need to make. We, that means we've got to really educate and engage our CFOs right? and, and others involved, COOs. And I think I see that happening. Uh, it's uh, been a long time coming, but that's a, that's just something I wanted to add. You know, the journal just came out with a, a story about that too, mm-hmm. but it was it was reporting the opposite. Now, granted, it wasn't mm-hmm. a healthcare setting, but it was mm-hmm. saying that the, the the gap between the CEO and the CMO was widening in the sense that the CEO truly understood the metrics mm-hmm. and the the activity that marketing was driving. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was that was that was broad stroke. But I would argue the opposite in healthcare, right? And right. I think that's even more evident hearing you know the, the Paul Matsons and others that were talking earlier today um, I feel like that the metrics are on the on the uh, on the desk of the CEO and the COO on, on Monday on Monday reports like you know marketing is now part of those daily activities mm-hmm. and the overall performance metrics um, we're even seeing that one step further if they're owned wholly owned by private equity where private equity also wants to see the reports for marketing as to because they understand it right? right they're enabling access right and they're, they're helping with driving net new patient acquisition strategies and um, retention and, and loyalty strategies. So um, it was a timely report, and then Beckers yeah. came out with one saying that 
Um, you know, the, the role of the, the uh, chief digital officer is has is leaving just as fast as it you know as it arrived. And it's like, right. Oh, yeah. Is it? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like maybe maybe it's just kind of being that re- role and responsibility is maybe just being repurposed elsewhere, but not you know not eliminated. So mm-hmm. there was some violent reaction to the to the journal reaction <laughs> and also to the developers article. And part of that too, I mean, to back to your points previously, is that you know as marketers, as marketing leaders in particular, positioning the function. Is is what's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what is marketing's role? Right. Are you the growth engine? Right. And then if you are, own it and then reinforce it. Yep. And then how do you demonstrate growth? Well, you continue to report on growth metrics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't report on, here's how much we spent and here's how many hits we had on the website. Those have very little to do with growth. They may be leading indicators, but mm-hmm. you know, what, where are we really driving volume? Um, and I think part of the challenge that marketing leaders have is, you know, how do we get a seat at the strategy table because not every marketing dollar has the same value. Right. And so we need to match up where we're spending the marketing dollars with where the clinical volume is possible. And so that ties in access and everything else. And so having conversations with the operational leaders becomes critical. I always thought it was like a bolded, highlighted, like dotted line to ROI, right? Not right. quite solid, but <laughs> right. pretty, yeah, it's getting pretty close, you know? You know, but I, did, I have been talking and I'm going to put a little bit of a counterpoint here because some of the marketing leaders are saying, my ROI is actually not in growth. My ROI is in retention of existing patients. Mm. My ROI is in re-engaging those patients that potentially are at risk or um, that social determinants of health. They're looking at different ways to solve the problem. I think ultimately what we're trying to do is help the business, right? Help our organizations be more effective and to really live true to our our mission and our our vision of what we're trying to accomplish. We we all have a purpose of being here in the the health space. I don't want to discount what Dom said because he's really smart and I agree. (laughs) It's growth. Growth is huge, yeah. but it's not. It's more than just growth. It's yeah. growth, and it's also employee retention, yeah. and it's also this, and it's also working better well, it's with IT. Growth. It's a state, yeah, and incremental value center. Right? It can also we be the same thing, right? Like I've seen, you yeah. know, if someone had left a, a, a negative review and then the, the system is then able to respond to it, they've retained then that existing patient. Other net new patients yeah. are going to see that interaction exactly. and say, hey, they're they're hearing and they mm-hmm. want to make the appropriate changes. So it's not zero sum. Right, right. Yeah. right. So and Growth isn't necessarily new patients. It right. is growth in utilization of services. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm now loyal with every healthcare dollar that I have as opposed to this mm-hmm. one clinical service. Or line. grow your employee base. Yeah. Right. You know? yeah. Baylor talked about that today, too, where you know, one of the metrics that she's been watching is you know, the number of patients that are coming back within that 18-month you know, cycle, right? It's, it's, it's the retention within the network. Yeah. And so ultimately, we are, you know, marketing is transforming. It's changing in a significant and profound way. And each organization has their own unique ways to approach that so I think this has been a really great conversation guys I don't know but I mean it's really good we'll take a pause and then we'll come back and we'll wrap up the show all right great thank you All right, guys, this has been a really great conversation, and it really kind of captures some of the themes that we're hearing here at HCSC. I always love coming to these conferences where I get to interact with all of you, but also a number of other people that are kind of walking around, and you know, that we're, we're just talking. There's a lot of great, exciting activities. So yeah. these conferences, I'm so glad that we're back. Uh, I missed them for a couple of years. I don't know about you all. So We still miss Reed, right? We miss Reed. We miss Reed. Reed, you're here in spirit. <laughs> we miss you. Okay, so we always end the show with a recommendation, but before we start talking about recommendations. I want to remind people, if you're listening in, be sure to go to touchpoint.health. That's our website. You can learn more about our podcast. Click on that TPS report, sign up for our email. It's a great way
way to do it. And while you're there, take that survey. Tell us what you like. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us what your favorite episodes are, what your favorite guests are. You can mention any of us here on the show right now, today. Um, and by the way, there's also a fun little uh, question about uh, me versus Reed that you could take in this survey. But anyway, so go out to touchpoint.health, uh, do that. And now what we'll do is we'll wrap up the show with a couple recommendations. And Andrew, I think you wanted to go first. Oh, I am going first. Wow. Go for okay. it. Um, I'm going to go with one of the obvious trends, right? Got to, we, we haven't mentioned AI once on this podcast, so you've got to talk about it. Ding. We just, just hit our, we had our quota. Thank my you. recommendation <laughs> is just, just have freaking fun in, in, in Bard and then also in ChatGPT. Like, you know, go, go have fun. Like, look at the business applications. Go and test, you know, the possible responses that you can get out of it. I've also used it, like, in, like, personal life and, like, with my kids and with my wife. Except, like, go and test it. See where it's weak. See where it's really strong. Get, like, those really wild, interesting, thought-provoking reactions and responses, etc. But just... Don't be intimidated. Just get in there and start playing with it and having fun and seeing what the applications can then be both you know, professionally and then also personally, personally. as well. Yeah. Do you want to share the one example you gave me the other day? When we talked about the other day. So yeah. my, I've, I've, I have a six, soon to be seven. He turned seven on, on Thursday. So shout out to Brayden. He, out of nowhere, he's six years old. He out of nowhere, he goes, you know, who is God? And probably should have been prepared for said question growing up <laughs> as a Catholic kid, right? Um, and it, 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 you know, trying to grasp the uh, the vastness of said question and then explaining it and bringing that to you know something that a, a six-year-old could understand was was far more challenging than I'd given that credit to um, so immediately to chat GPT right uh -huh. and said how do I explain who God is to a six-year-old and it gave me just the most basic simple easy to understand as best you can for the six-year-old like and you know you throw your own flavor and sauce on top etc um but it was perfect right and it's you know my wife gave me a lot of uh, hard time about it but you know it's like you can't you be asking those type of questions to a computer i'm like why not right yeah well you shared that with me and i'm like okay great my parenting is going to be easy now because <laughs> yeah. i got chat gpt birds Just, in the beat be like, <laughs> <laughs> no that's a great recommendation delete the history yeah that's a great recommendation yeah. andrew I really appreciate yep. that. All right, who wants to go next? Um, yeah, I'll go next. Um, so, you know, to me, uh, I had uh, my father passed away a couple of years ago, mm. and someone uh, recommended a book to me called Being Mortal by mm. Atul Gawande. Uh, and so I wanted to pass that on to the audience. It was very helpful to understand this you know, difficulty we have as, you know, human sons, parents mm -hmm. um, of people transitioning. And, you know, it's a very human story about a, a physician, a mass general physician who wrote it, and his father, who's also a physician. Mm. And actually the journey they took in terms of understanding when enough was enough and that our modern medicine continues to push. And we'll give you a couple extra days and a little bit more mm. uh, and, and kind of understanding and empathizing with our loved ones when, you know, enough is enough and that quality of life matters more than surviving. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just a very human story and particularly given the work that we do in healthcare, it would kind of brought it back to um, something very concrete and real. You know, why is it we do what we do? Yeah. And I think Paul Madsen said it, um, you know, we're, we're in a noble pursuit, you know, mm -hmm. at the, fundamentally what we do, even as marketers, is we get people to healing. Mm -hmm. And so that book was very, uh, very foundational for me and very helpful in terms of understanding how to deal with the emotions and the feelings mm -hmm. I was having with someone who knows a lot about healthcare and yet 
needed to let my dad go. Mm, yeah, wow. Okay, what's the name of the book again and the author? Oh, uh, it is uh, called Being Mortal, Atul Gawande is the author. That's great. That's a really good recommendation. Thank you, John, for sharing that. That's great. David, you're, you you look a little sheepish now. So what's your no, recommendation? Yeah, uh, listening to John made me think. I just visited my mother. I'm the baby of the family. My closest sibling is 14 years old. She's 99. So I spent, uh, her birthday was on Friday. It's amazing. And she lives with my loving sister, who is uh, uh, retired 43 years at Norton Health Systems in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, as a surgical nurse. Um, but it made me think my father died years ago at the age of 63. And Andrew, when you were talking about ChatGBT, I asked my father to explain the birds and the bees. <laughs> it was on Christmas morning. We had a new ping pong table. So my dad is, you know, beep, pop, pop. You imagine the ball hitting the mm-hmm. wood surface. And I said, Dad, could you explain Zach's surgery? And the game went from kind of a casual father-son Christmas morning bat to something like the Chinese national team. <laughs> my mom was peering, just smiling. He goes, when a man loves a woman, son. You know, going back and forth. So it's meant to be robotic. <laughs> it's meant to be robotic. <laughs> um, anyway, that, that, uh, that said, um, I'm supposed to give a recommendation. So I've been here since Friday. I love Los Angeles. I'm a huge film buff. So I got in early. Uh, I asked my wife if she wanted to accompany me on this trip. She said no because she knew I was going to the Academy, who gives out the Oscars, has the um, Museum of Film and Motion Pictures. So uh, I went down. I spent. Three, they had to kick me out at six o'clock. Um, I went and um, looked at all the old Oscars. There is a Godfather exhibit there with Don Corley, Corleone's desk that Francis Ford Coppola set up as a prop. It's cool. There's a, a dedication, a whole half floor to John Waters. Remember polyester, oh, yeah. Mingo, all those things. So that would be a recommendation if you come to LA, you do that in a couple of, well, probably do it faster than I did. I read every plaque, but a really nice trip right next to, it's on Wilshire next to the LA County Museum of Art. The second thing I wanted to bring up is LA related, and that's a show, it's a streaming show. If you get, uh, it's not HBO Max anymore, it's Max. Max. My son called it Hobo Max, but he was younger. Which in itself is a talking <laughs> point, by the way. That's really cool, they were able to remove the branding of HBO. That's just, right. Yeah. yeah. And on Max is a show set in LA in the 30s. It's the Perry Mason series. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the best series I've ever, I mean, it's authentic. You think you're in 30s LA. I don't know how they do it. There's a lot of CGI and things. But he's a detective, a flawed detective. And it's a really entertaining show if you like that kind of genre, mm. the detective series. So, wow! Those are my two cool. LA. He got two recommendations. I know. In right? Well, we're, yeah. in the, we're in the city of angels. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Wow, that's so, amazing. I recommend both highly. All right. Well, I'll end with my recommendation. I am a big music guy. I love music, and one of my favorite bands is the Beatles. And you probably all heard they came out with their new single. They have a brand new single. You did not hear this, David. You okay, kind of sound surprised. Last week, they announced and released a new single. And you're probably wondering, wait, how did this happen? And I thought so too, right? It's another AI thing? Are you it, bringing it back? Well, AI circle? is in part of it. So it first started, and Disney Plus, brilliant marketers. What they said is, you got a couple of drip emails. New Beatles single coming, new Beatles single coming, new Beatles single coming on November 3rd. On November 2nd, they release a 12-minute documentary that's both on um, their YouTube channel, mm. the Beatles' YouTube channel, as well as on Disney+, Plus about the making of the song. Mm. Mm. And what it was is, back in 1995, when the Beatles got together for their anthology, you remember they released a couple of songs then. There was a third song that Yoko Ono gave to them, that John Lennon wrote, that had really bad audio quality. 
They, and they were trying to make another third song at that time, and they just couldn't. They had to give up on it. Um, uh, George Harrison played a guitar part. Ringo Starr played a drum part. Um, but it just didn't, it never worked out. They could never release it. It was not good enough. Mm. So they shelved it. Okay. Flash forward, 2022. Okay. Now, since then, George Harrison passed away. In 2021, Peter Jackson did the documentary Get Back. Of was the that Beatles. the big one on Netflix? That was the big one. That yeah. was, I, was on, I think it was on Disney+. Plus. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And along the way, he digitized all of the Beatles' vocals into an AI engine. Mm. And now he has AI-driven voices of each and every one of the Beatles singing. The two remaining members of the Beatles, Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney, of course, they said, maybe we should revisit this last song. Mm. They took it. They brought it in, they audio processed the piano that John was playing on the original demo. They took Peter Jackson's AI enhanced John Lennon voice, replicated the audio. They also played bass, played drums. They brought George Harrison's guitar from way back in 1985, solo, brought it into the song and produced it. Now this 12 minute documentary went through the whole process of building it, but never played the song. And then the next day they released the song. Smart. The song went out. It was went number one on Spotify. Went number one everywhere. Uh, it was you know it was all over uh, YouTube, and it was just just the song. And then the next day they released a video. <laughs> These guys are incredible. And I have to say I listened to the song, and it's great. It's really great. It's a little poignant. It's a little melancholy. Uh, it's called Now and Then by the Beatles, and it's their very. It's billed as their very last song. So with an asterisk. Well, now they have the AI, who knows? Well, but, yeah, exactly. But in the very least, that's, cool. that's going to be my recommendation is go listen to not only the song Now and Then, which you can get on any kind of music platform that's out there, but um, you can also go if you have Disney Plus or just go to YouTube. You can see the 12-minute documentary of the making of, which is really, really fascinating. So that's my recommendation. Now you have our voices. I'm just realizing, what can you do with our voices? Well, yeah, you're going to be starting to sing. You're going to start to be singing Taylor be Swift songs. <laughs> but with that, um, this has been a really great conversation, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm amazing how quick the time went by. Before we leave and get out of here and say goodbye from HCIC this year, why don't we all end with how people can find you online? So, David, why don't you start? David Perry, Executive Vice President of Strategy at Bowstring. I am on LinkedIn. I'm on most, I'm Rue de Dome. I lived in France from Rue de Dome on Twitter. Oh, okay. excuse me, X. <laughs> um, and uh, D Perry at bowstring.tv. There you go. John? Uh, John McKeever, Chief Growth Officer with Endeavor Management. Our website is uh, endeavormgmt.com. You can reach me there or on LinkedIn, and I don't have Twitter or X. That's, that's okay. We can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and lastly, Andrew Rainey, GM of Healthcare at Reputation. Um, our website's reputation.com, and I'm across any of the any of the social channels. Well, in the show notes, we're going to put links to all of your LinkedIn accounts, and we're going to put all your, your company websites in the, oh, in the show notes, so you can click on and learn more. I would encourage you all to follow everyone. And for Reed Smith, I'm Chris Boyer, and we'll see you next week on the Touchpoint Podcast. Thank you.